SEC officials and school administrators seem to be down to two different scheduling models coming out of the SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida from this past week. What are both these models? We'll discuss that more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Nation and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for continuous and daily news coverage on your favorite South Carolina sports teams. I am your host, Andrew Lyon, and I've got a jam-packed show for all of you here today. We're going to be discussing some potential future SEC permanent rivals that South Carolina could have in the very near future. Of course, if you have been paying attention to the inner workings of the SEC recently, you would know that the SEC just concluded its annual week of spring meetings in Destin, Florida this past week. And besides soaking in all the sunshine and hitting the waves out there, we had a bunch of administrators, coaches, and athletic directors who were there to discuss strictly business. Business involving how the future schedules for the SEC should work out. So I'm going to go over with all of you the two models that they have narrowed their choices down to. The pros and cons for each model, objectively speaking. And depending on which model the SEC ends up going with, who South Carolina's permanent rivals or rival could end up being in just a few seasons. Before I get started, a quick reminder to all of you out there who are listening to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, Amazon Music, Pandora, pretty much anywhere where you get your podcasts. If you've got a family member or friend who maybe haven't been able to find it yet, be sure to spread the word and let them know that is where they can find the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. And thank you once again for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your daily listen for South Carolina Gamecock sports. So for this first part regarding the discussions that were had down in Destin, Florida between SEC administrators and officials this past week, I'm going to be referencing some talking points from on three sports writer Nikki Chavanel's article regarding the SEC spring meetings. So the first talking point that was brought up in her article was a quote from Ross Dellinger, who was a college football writer for Sports Illustrated, who tweeted this past Friday, the final day of the SEC spring meetings, that, quote, there was no decision on a future SEC scheduling format as expected. The SEC is split on an eight-game, which is one permanent plus seven rotational opponents, versus nine-game model, which is three permanent rivals and six rotational opponents. This week at Destin, the eight-game model has picked up more support, officials tell Sports Illustrated now. Why? College football playoff uncertainty and TV revenue questions. And I'll be going over that in a little bit. The next bullet point of importance from this article were 
some of the quotes that they got from Greg Sankey, who, of course, is the commissioner of the SEC, with his own thoughts on how things played out in Destin and will play out going forward. As Greg Sankey said, quote, We've been in that conversation since August, really since 2018. Just instead of talking about 14 members, we're talking about 16 members in the future. Of course, referencing Texas and Oklahoma soon join the SEC. We've narrowed, I think it's in the high 30s, the concepts we've introduced to just a handful. What we know is less about me and the conference office and more about how our schools are managing their non-conference schedules. I expect something sooner rather than later. We've done the work to set the stage for that decision. We've moved closer every time we've met. He also emphasized the fact that the SEC's TV partners don't have any vote in the matter, although they do have some skin in the game in terms of being affected by whatever decision is made. When asked by Jesse Simonton of On3 Sports how the TV partners are intertwined in the conversation, Sankey responded saying, quote, We keep them updated, but they're not dictating. I don't like to talk about TV contracts. We keep our future TV partner long up to speed on the conversation. So the next question you all may be asking yourself is how do the coaches feel about the scheduling model debate? Well, when looking at an article written by Jesse Simonton for On3 Sports back on June the 1st, which was this past Wednesday in the middle of the SEC spring meetings down in Destin, they talked about how Multiple different teams and coaches have differing opinions on the matter. Kentucky and Arkansas have both, for example, pushed for the 177 schedule model over the 366 model, with Kentucky making the claim that going to nine games would affect their annual rivalry matchup versus Louisville. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer decided to take the middle road, saying essentially he saw positives with both models. Alabama head coach Nick Saban and Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland both are behind the 366 or 9 conference game scheduling model, while Auburn head coach Brian Harson said at the time he really didn't have a preference between both models. Now, it's important to remember that with this whole process, while the individual coaches are able to voice their opinion on which model they support, and obviously they will let their say be known when it comes to talking to their athletic directors at each of their respective institutions, these coaches do not have an actual vote on the matter. That falls in the laps of the presidents of each school. So now that you have heard some of the opinions of the head coaches, some of the athletic directors, and even the SEC commissioner himself regarding this debate, let's now go ahead and take a deep dive and discuss some of the pros and cons regarding both scheduling models that this debate is all about. Starting off with the 366 or 9 game conference schedule model. So, the first pro with this model is pretty apparent if you have been following SEC football for any period of time now, and that is this model will have the ability to preserve more secondary rivalries in the conference and subsequently remove some of the soft group of five games that each team has every season. Now, if this were to take place, this would be obviously a big win for all SEC fans alike, both old and young, as some of the older fans who might be a little bit more of a traditionalist would want to see some of these robberies who have been going on for over 50 years plus 
be able to remain on their team's schedule year in and year out. And some of the younger fans who maybe they don't necessarily care as much about those older rivalries, not to say that's a bad thing, but maybe they want to maybe see some different matchups. So a great example would be maybe one that we're about to get this upcoming season with Alabama facing off against Texas. That would be something that would get young fans extremely hyped up as, again, you can make all the we're back jokes all you want about the Texas Longhorns, but Texas is still Texas. Texas is one of the most historic programs in all college football for a reason with all of the uh, with all the storied seasons that they've had and all the national championships that they have won in their program's history. Another pro of this scheduling model, which would kind of honestly be the result of the first positive factor that I just mentioned, would be a jump in ticket sales and an increase in TV money for all teams, and therefore more fans beginning to return to watch events in person due to more inherent interest in matchups. Being able to create all of these potential new storylines, maybe even new rivalries, along with keeping some of the older rivalries, maybe like obviously the the oldest rivalry in the Deep South between Auburn and Georgia, that would draw fans back into the seats of all of these stadiums. And obviously with the evolution of streaming services the last several years with the COVID-19 pandemic and what happened with all of that, a lot of these stadiums and a lot of these schools have seen their attendance slowly creep down over a period of time for at least the last probably five to ten years or so. But this would go a long ways towards potentially, at least partially, fixing that problem. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to go over one con that you would have to consider with this model and then jump into the pros and cons of the 177 or 8-game conference slate. But before I do that, I want to pass along a quick word from our friends over at Built Bar. Don't you love a chewy, chocolatey brownie with caramel swirls on top? Come on now. I know that you're imagining right now how good a chocolate caramel brownie would be. Now, what if I told you that you could still have all that plus 17 grams of protein? Yeah, that's right. You're in luck because caramel brownie bars are now available at Built.com. But you got to act fast because understandably so, they're a big fan favorite. These bars will make you forget about that ice cream that you got sitting in your freezer outside. Which again, well, you all know that you got it sitting there and you've been thinking about it. But I promise you, once you take a bite out of a Built Bar, you're going to forget about that ice cream very quickly. Plus, the macronutrient counts are unreal. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. Again, can't emphasize that enough. And only 4 grams of sugar. And the best part, caramel brownie bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. There's a big misconception in the world of fitness and nutrition that in order to meet your goals, you have to sacrifice taste. But with Built Bar, you don't have to sacrifice taste to be healthy. You can have the best of both worlds. And all Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. There are a million reasons that you should try Built Bars. Having caramel brownie bars are just another reason why. With Built, tasty is the new healthy. Go to Built.com to get your box caramel brownie bars now with this special offer by using the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off that order. 
That's LOCKED15, capital L-O-C-K-E-D, all caps, 1-5, for 15% off at Built.com. Go now while the offer lasts. Welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your daily Gamecock sports show for all the latest news, developments, and potential storylines to watch for your respective South Carolina Gamecock sports team. Now, before our recent break, I was discussing some of the positives with the 3-6-6 or 9-game conference schedule model that has been discussed at the recent SEC spring meetings down in Destin, Florida. Now I'm going to discuss with y'all one quick negative that does come with this schedule model. And that negative is the fact that playing nine games in the SEC could bring about a lot more wear and tear on the student-athletes. Listen, if you're not a fan of an SEC football team, you may not like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it is the truth and the stats don't lie. The SEC has the best football players from an individual standpoint and, quite frankly, a team standpoint in a lot of ways in college football. You look at the NFL draft after round seven every single year, you always see the SEC at the very top when it comes to conferences and their subsequent amount of draft picks that they had in the draft for that off season. The SEC athletes are just faster, stronger, they're more physical, and quite frankly, in a lot of cases, they're more skilled. Now, does that mean that, of course, you cannot find athletes like that in any of the other conferences? No, not at all. There's plenty of good players in the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. There's there's plenty of good players all over the place, but in the SEC, I'm not going to say it just means more, but it is just a little bit different down here. And adding a ninth conference game to the schedule, which is already brutal enough considering how good the competition is down here, would undoubtedly bring about a higher potential injury risk to the student-athletes. Now, there is one more con about this model, or at least it's a negative depending on who you're asking that I'm going to bring up real quick with this model before I move on. And that is the idea that having a ninth conference game for each team in the SEC would end up hurting some of the team's chances of making the college football playoff. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be upfront with y'all and just say personally, I think that that is an absolutely ridiculous take. And I'm going to reference back to a particular sequence of events that took place in the SEC's history back in the early 1990s. In 1992, the SEC held their first ever conference championship game, which was an idea that was created by, at the time, the current SEC commissioner, Roy Kramer. And the Alabama Crimson Tide, led by head coach Gene Stallings, would end up going into the conference championship game that season with a shot to go to the national title game. But they would wind up facing the Florida Gators, who at the time were coached by head ball coach Steve Spurrier. And at the time, of course, this conference championship game did take place. There wasn't a college football playoff. It was all based on polls that decided pretty much where you ended up being slotted in a particular bowl game, like the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl. And how the poll numbers ended up working out with the rankings 
ended up deciding who your matchup was and whether or not you played for the national title or not. And so Gene Stallings, of course, at the time, didn't want to play an SEC championship game because he was worried about the possibility of if his team ended up losing that one game after doing so well all season, that Alabama's national title hopes would be dashed. And admittedly, it did very nearly happen, but the Crimson Tide would end up winning that game. And the SEC championship now in present times is pretty much one of the best games in the college football season every single year. So Roy Kramer, the SEC commissioner of the conference, took a very big risk, but the risk ended up paying off for him at the end. Now, this isn't a conference championship game we're talking about here, but you think about the idea that, yes, eventually the college football playoff is undoubtedly probably going to expand because money talks, and we all know that. And the SEC, of course, would probably be a big beneficiary in this as long as there's no automatic qualifier slots that get placed into the model for the expanded college football playoff. But quite frankly, it's just a very soft way of looking at it by saying that you don't want a ninth conference game just because you play your arch rival out of the conference. If there's any teams that could have some gripe about that, realistically, it'd be South Carolina and even Florida. But Georgia Tech and Louisville right now, they are both down. Now, they both could end up rebounding very soon and being top 15, top 25 teams again. But at least it just doesn't look that way as of right now heading into the next couple of years. So I just wanted to address that point real quick before moving on. So now that I've discussed the 3-6-6 or 9 conference game scheduling model, I wanted to, to discuss some pros and cons of the 1-7-7 or 8 conference game scheduling model. So the one positive that I do see out of this model would be that because the amount of conference games would remain consistent, the non-conference home-and-home contracts along with the TV contracts across the conference would not have to be altered, making the logistics a lot easier and not causing certain teams in the conference to end up losing money from having to opt out of some of these contracts. So one example of this would be, you know, South Carolina plays Virginia Tech later this decade. I want to say it's either 2028 and 2029 or maybe adding a year to both of those years and we play a home and home with them. Now, Obviously, if this conference were to move to a nine-conference game scheduling model, then games like that we would not admittedly see as often because in South Carolina's case, if you add in nine conference games, then their game against Clemson, then a game against a team like Virginia Tech, who maybe at that point could end up being one of the best teams in their conference again, then that would be a very, very difficult slate for the Gamecocks as 11 out of their 12 games would be considered either way to be pretty challenging from a physical aspect. So, and South Carolina, of course, then if they decide to opt out of that, they would undoubtedly have to fork over some money for being the team that ends up canceling the contract unless they got a specific clause worked in there where if their conference were to change their scheduling model to a certain set of parameters, then that would therefore excuse them from having to end up giving any money to Virginia Tech. Although, 
just based on common courtesy in college football, I do not believe that's the way that works. So obviously that would end up sort of helping out teams like South Carolina a little bit and any other team in the conference would maybe have certain home and homes like that scheduled. Now, there is a couple of cons, of course, that also would come into play with this one seven seven scheduling model. With the first one that came up um, on my mind immediately is having this model would make it pretty much impossible to keep a lot of some of the secondary rivalries that we see in this conference year in, year out. And because of this, it would therefore alienate certain factions of a lot of different fan bases. And at in the worst case, it would maybe even cause some of these fans to quit watching their team. Now, without going through the entire gamut of all of the, I don't want to call it issues, but all the discussions we have going on right now in college football with regards to name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal, the combination of both of those factors, uh, you know, the rich getting richer, with pushing all of that to the side, a lot of fans are already somewhat on edge when it comes to any sort of change that they are going to potentially see with this sport. And so when it comes to these proposals, like, of course, this scheduling model debate that the SEC is currently going through right now, you have to, if you're in the seat of uh, the SEC commissioner, which is who is Greg Sankey, and you know any of these presidents or athletic directors and head coaches, you have got to be very mindful of what kind of feedback or blowback you might get from your fan base. And I can tell you all right now, if we went to a one seven seven scheduling model, Georgia is a good example here. Who do you think Georgia would end up playing? There's no question Georgia would end up playing Florida every single year. Well, guess what game would have to therefore be pretty much eliminated from in, in terms of being an annual rivalry matchup on Georgia's schedule? The Deep South's oldest rivalry with the Auburn Tigers. If you are somebody who lives in Columbus, Georgia, or pretty much anywhere on the western half of Georgia and you follow the Georgia Bulldogs and college football very closely, that game is very near and dear to your heart. Now, I don't think that Georgia would want to, of course, see that game go away, realistically speaking, but if we happen to go with this model, of course, they would much rather want to continue their series, I think, with the Florida Gators than they would with the Auburn Tigers. And plus, admittedly, Auburn would like to keep their series going with Alabama, the Iron Bowl. And so, bottom line, you would have a lot of very tough decisions that would have to be made when it comes to pretty much designating rivalries as being primary rivals or secondary rivals. You would have the potential for rubbing a lot of people the wrong way and a lot of fans the wrong way to the point where you might not get those fans back in your favor. And that's just not a risk that you would want to take. That doesn't mean, of course, that Georgia maybe lose like 40 plus percent of their fan base if they weren't playing Auburn every year anymore. But there would definitely be at least some fans that would no longer 
probably want to watch not even just Georgia football, but college football for that matter, if they see something like that happen. Now, the second negative with this scheduling model is the SEC as a whole would undoubtedly be losing out on a lot of money for adding another conference game to the schedule, which would subsequently give the conference leverage to renegotiate its potential TV contract with ESPN. And with the SEC stature that it holds, of course, in collegiate athletics, as the best conference in college football, you could throw in college baseball, you could also make an argument for women's college basketball, and men's basketball, the SEC is no slouch when it comes to men's basketball anymore. There's no doubt the ESPN, they wouldn't really have much of a choice if it came to that. Because if you think about it, these SEC games, again, you you talk about, say, Auburn versus San Jose State this upcoming season. You compared that game and what the ratings and viewership is like for that on television compared to, or ESPN+, Plus, whichever one it ends up being on, compared to Auburn playing Penn State. Or, say, if Auburn ends up playing Texas, whenever, of course, this conference increases to 16 games, which game do you think is going to have the least amount of ratings and viewership on television or on their streaming service? Not a very hard answer there, right? So, adding another conference game, that means, obviously, more money for the TV companies, all the sponsors and everything, and of course, in which case, the SEC, therefore, should be able to get even a little more money for each individual team that is in the conference as well. But sticking to a 177 scheduling model, they would be losing out on that. So, to bottom line this entire conversation for today's show, which model do I think the SEC would be best suited to go with moving forward? forward. While of course it is not my decision at the end of the day, I personally believe that there is no doubt that the 366 scheduling model is the best scheduling model for the SEC to move forward with. I think that you will be able to get the best of both worlds in the sense that obviously you will be able to keep fans happy by keeping a lot of these rivalries that they care about involved with their respective teams. I don't think that there's really a whole lot of teams that you could, I guess, quote-unquote, rub the wrong way based on the teams that you give them. I think that, quite frankly, that that part of the whole process is a little bit less complicated than a lot of people may think, and I'll get into that more on a future show pertaining to especially South Carolina's permanent rivals and who they could potentially be. But I just think that you're going to have a lot less issues than you would if you had if you go with the 177 scheduling model. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier in this show, money talks. TV executives are going to have a very important role in the future of this sport. Again, not just with, obviously, these scheduling models, even though they may not have a legitimate vote, like Greg Sankey mentioned in the article I referenced earlier. They are going to be affected by something like this. And, obviously, when you talk about the transfer portal and NIL, that's going to be a decisive factor as well. They're going to be more prominent figures. You're going to start hearing more names that maybe you didn't used to hear about in the past. So you got to keep all this in mind when it comes to a discussion or a debate on a issue like scheduling models for respective conferences. 
But with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for me today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. What are your thoughts on the scheduling model debate that is currently going on in the SEC circles? Do you have a preference of a specific model that you would like to see the conference with going forward? Do you think maybe that there's something that I maybe missed on with either of these models and a potential positive or negative? How does it affect your respective team? I want you to let me know on social media. You can find me on Twitter at a lion sc that's capital a capital l y o and underscore capital s capital c also be sure to go and give the podcast a five-star rating or a like if you thoroughly enjoyed today's show on the app where you take in your podcast daily thank you for making the lockdown gamecocks your choice for daily news coverage of the south carolina gamecocks i'll catch you all on the next show of the lockdown gamecocks podcast